AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Uh, today I'm delighted to have on the show, Brad Cadova. Brad is the CEO at Kinotic. Brad, welcome on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So Brad, tell us a little bit about you, your background, Kinotic. But I suppose if we start off and focus on you, tell us your background. What, what got you into data science? I was doing string theory at CERN in Switzerland, trying to kind of understand the nature of the universe, um, uh, particularly around things called quarks, which make up the nucleus. And uh, I would spend a lot of time with the experimental physicists, and they they had some really cool techniques that they were using. Um, and they didn't call it machine learning, but it actually was machine learning. And I was, I was really fascinated. And in my head, I'm like, "Oh my God, this this is this is so powerful. This is clearly uh, a tool that's going to unlock so many things in the future." And so I went to the library and like, of I read like two <laughs> two books and like did the problem sets and um, and so I, I actually left physics um, and went to MIT to study machine learning. Um, and, and so that was kind of the origin of that. I'd say that was um, quite a story being in MIT studying machine learning. Yeah, it was. Um, it's a great place. There's a lot of really energetic, really smart people, really eccentric, interesting, doing crazy things. And that's actually where I first got the idea that people like me even even do startups or companies. Before that, I just wanted to be a scientist and a researcher. Cool. And so then you said you wanted to move into the startup world. How did Canodic start? What happened? What was the what was the inspiration? And then how did you do it? Yeah, exactly. So actually, during my PhD, um, I, I, I met a guy, Joe Ottoman. He, he was actually at Harvard, but he was cross-registering at MIT. And we had to take an elective class um, so he could be well-rounded, which basically means nothing at MIT. Um, and so I took this new ventures class, and we, we met. One thing led to another. And so we created this company called True Motion. And, and the goal of True Motion was really a social mission of really trying to stop the deaths on the road. And there was a huge economic uh, play where we helped insurance companies better price insurance. And so there was these kind of economic and social pieces intertwined. And so to solve this problem, it was a, it was a really difficult machine learning problem. And so the, the interesting piece was I, I had seen machine learning and AI from an academic perspective. But then at True Motion, we had to do things like detect if you were the driver of a car just with sensor data on the phone, or if you're a passenger on a bus or train, or detect if someone had been in an accident. So really difficult problems, and we needed and, and forming risk models. We, we needed fundamental machine learning solutions, and so we deployed these uh, machine learning solutions to an insane number of people. And what I realized, and this ended up being the seed of what Canotic was, is doing machine learning AI in academia is categorically different than doing it in the real world. And so we had to build a ton of fundamental infrastructure to serve machine learning models at scale and, and train machine learning models. And, 
and, and making sure we can handle covariate shift and prior distribution shift and, and, and handling the technical debt. And I was looking around and seeing how many people are actually using machine learning because a lot of people talk about it. And what I discovered is it's extremely rare. There's a lot of people who know how to scale massive software systems, but there wasn't a lot of people who knew how to scale massive machine learning systems. It was it was only kind of the Googles of the world that were really, really using it. Um, and this was a surprise to me. Um, and this kind of kicked off a journey um, and I ended up writing this really long white paper uh, on this subject. And it turned out kind of the the precipice uh, of this investigation was all around data. Um, like we have this concept of, of software 2.0, which is AI and a traditional software, which called software 1.0. I think Andre Karpathy came up with this term. And in the old world, you use software engineers to program software. And if you have good software engineers, then mostly you had good software. And if you had bad software engineers, you mostly had bad software. In this new world of software 2.0, it's not actually programmed by software engineers, it's programmed by data labelers. And so the conclusion is, is that if you have good labeled data, most likely you're going to have good AI, good machine learning. If you have bad labeled data, you're going to have bad machine learning because it's the labeled data that defines the constraints of the problem. And it's the machine learning that actually writes the program based on the labeled data. But it, it, you're essentially programming the machine learning models with, with labeled data. And so this kind of insight happened at True Motion, And I'm like, wow, if we can make such a huge difference with machine learning, um, and we were lucky enough to be able to build this stuff, but imagine what other people can do. Um, and so so this kind of idea uh, was was the seed of what eventually grew Kanotic and, and our tagline, which we're, which we're all here rallying around, and, and that's AI for everyone. Okay, cool. So there's two things I, I want to mention on that. One was actually said a very interesting point, that it is the Googles of the world who are using AI to actually impact their users. And we've actually done a bit of research on this ourselves. Out of all the companies, the large enterprise businesses who are investing in AI and investing in machine learning, they may say they're using it or they are using it, they might use it to help internal processes. Right. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna speed up our accounts team, but it doesn't actually impact their users and the people using the software. It's actually four percent. Four percent. Four percent. Wow. Um, something I wanted to ask as well about uh, Kinotic. You mentioned just can you know help label this data. So let's say two years ago I wanted a machine learning model and I didn't label it, I had this really messy looking machine. So possible to then implement your solution and go back and fix, and I suppose if you are to plaster over my cracks? Yeah, it is, um, and that's the key. So uh, I, I think your audience has probably heard this over and over again, but it's, it's worth repeating to, to address your question. So. So it's inevitable that, that machine learning is happening now because it's writing on the back of, of Moore's law. So we have massive computation writing on the back of the internet. So we have, we have a massive amount of data. And so uh, AI and machine learning ha had its killer application with like image, with object detection and images and speech recognition. But just like electricity, uh, a profound technology that came before it had its killer application like the telegram or electric lighting. Uh, electricity only changed the world when it became ubiquitous. So when uh, there was electric refrigeration that changed the entire food supply chain system, when we had 
the electric motor, it changed the way we built society. The same thing is now happening uh, with machine learning. Uh, it's being used in more and more applications and becoming ubiquitous, and now it's starting to change the world um, because of the computation um, data. Uh, but but the problem is 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 still not all data is created equal, and to really get it to work and to really program it, you need this labeled data. And so, uh, your question was okay. Can can you fill can you fill in the cracks? Uh, uh, Some poor models made a few years ago where they didn't appreciate labeling data. It was data scientists told it's the most exciting job in the world. Go in and build a model. Poor quality, bad engineered data. Can you, can you help them come back to where they should be today? Yeah, and uh, and that's really where we're focusing all of our effort is is not only fixing bad label data, but just if you have zero label data, then that's e even worse most of the time. And so, so what we do is is we help we help companies go from raw, unstructured, noisy data um, all the way to to the end of of having a, a successful machine learning model. Okay. And so tell me, like, who are your users then that would, that would use your application? Yeah, so we, we have two main demographics. We actually have names for them. Um, the first one is Amit, um, and he's a data scientist, and he's about 31 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he's, he's really good with data scientists. He's leading a tech team, and, and for him, his goal is to train a machine learning model. And he knows how to do this, but his blocker is he needs high quality labeled data for a good price. And he needs help uh, setting this up, the infrastructure getting the labeled data. Um, and so, so so that's kind of our first demographic. The, seven de the second demographic um, is Emma, and she's a software engineer, like 33 years old, living in London. And she's not an, she's not an expert in data science or machine learning. She's She's relatively comfortable. We call them citizen data scientists. Um, but she wants to use machine learning to impact her business in some way. And so we help both Amit and Emma with, with their respective needs, and they're slightly different products for both of um, okay. these customers. Okay, and so tell me then how it works for you as if you get a customer, Emma. No, actually, no, we'll go with Amit, because Amit's a data scientist. Amit wants to build a... Trying to think, uh, an object detection uh, for a supermarket to see what's coming off the shelves. Yeah. What do you guys? What do you do? How does it look from? Hi, Amit. This is how we can help you to right through to the end. Right. So, uh, Amit would come uh, to. He would go to Canonic.com, um, and he'd be greeted uh, on the homepage with a search bar, and so uh, he he may type something like image, object detection, supermarket. And then what'll happen is it'll show search results and uh, on the marketplace, there, there may be something called image bounding box or image polygon or image object detection. Then he'd click that. And what what this marketplace uh, is defined by is, is a number of inputs and outputs. And so uh, I wanna, well, I may have to talk about what it is um, and like this idea of data programming and, and, and the AI compiler, but essentially he would find. Oh, let's just call it an app for now. He'd find an he'd find an app, um, and then he's like, oh, it, he would see some examples of okay, other applications. Maybe it was in the grocery store putting bounding boxes on it. He he click use this, and then he'd upload some data, 
and then he would change the parameters. Okay, what does he actually want to detect? He'd write instructions for the human, and then he'd deploy it, and that's it. And then he can access he can access this via an API. We have an SDK, a CLI. He can use the web dashboard, and then all he'd do is whether he wanted to use the API, he would just upload his data on the API, and then he'd get a response back with with labeled data. Okay, that's good. But I, I suppose uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be fickle. I'm gonna say yeah. look, it sounds too easy. Um, you know, what's the challenges? What's the pitfalls? How can, how are you overcoming this? Yeah, so, well, we, we spent a tremendous amount of time trying to make this easy, but it's, it's still not as easy as I'd like it to be. So uh, the, the most challenging thing um, that we see when, I mean, people label data in general is, well, let me, let me discuss kind of three big things that people face when they're, when they're trying to label data. The, the first is the idea of what's right or wrong is completely subjective. There's no kind of objective universal thing of what's right and wrong. It just depends on what you're trying to do. Um, do, you, do you want to, like, let's say you have a, a truck with like four cars on the truck. Do you put a bounding box in each of those cars? Well, maybe if you're a Tesla, you want to put a bounding box in the whole thing because that's just one like entity driving, you don't want your self-driving car to smash into that. But maybe someone wants something else, or, or maybe if you're trying to detect things in a grocery store, you want to neglect putting bounding boxes on on the walls, and you only want chip bags or or something like that. So, so the first thing is just what is truth or what is high quality is subjective. It's hard to put it into in some objective measure. Um, the second thing is typically in machine learning, we say that the the edge cases are the normal cases. So typically, let's just say in self-driving car or even e-commerce, most data just looks the same, but it's, it's in the rare cases that you typically want to really get right. When someone's trying to steal from your store or when there's an obstacle in the road or when there's snow on the ground or you're going to construction, but those are on the tail of the distribution. And because machine learning is statistical, it, it it's hard to really get those right. And then the third thing is, um, again, because of the, the nature of statistical machine learning, it's a bit fickle. And so if, you're, if your data distribution changes, then you need to relabel, retrain your model, and this is a really time-consuming, expensive, and, and a headache process. And, um, and, then, and then maybe a fourth one that is just uh, a corollary of these is it's, it's really hard to write instructions. So you'll say, okay, please just put bounding boxes on the items in my store. And then maybe there'll be a case where like there's an item, but it's kind of hidden behind another item. It's like, do you want me to partially put that? Well, maybe one person would say yes and one person would say no, but that would have a, a different impact on how your model was trained. Because if you remember how you label the data is actually, that's how you're writing the program. And so typically there's like a ton of edge cases that come up or uh, the instructions are ambiguous. So some people would complete the task one way, other people would complete the task another way. Um, and so it's it's really important to to get the instructions right and handle a lot of the edge cases and and so we have some uh, automated tools and and people who uh, who, who help uh, out with that. Yeah. So Brad, you when we spoke, you mentioned you were able to give us a use case of where you have a customer already implementing your software. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's quite a few customers implementing that, but yeah, uh, we can give uh, a use case. Um, so. So we're working uh, with a agriculture company and they have about uh, 150,000 hectares of farmland and they spend about $100 million per year just fertilizing the farmland. Um, and 
it, it's for a number of reasons. One is fertilizer is quite expensive. I didn't know, I, now I know like a ton about this space I didn't know before. Um, so fertilizer is really expensive, but it, there's a ton of manual labor in, involved in fertilizing. And there's not kind of a priori a, a way to figure out uh, what, well, until our solution came, how much fertilizer you need to put on, on a tree or plant. And so people would uh, scoop buckets of fertilizer, put it on a tree, um, and so typically you want to put more fertilizer than you need. So not only was it extremely expensive, um, but quite bad for nature trying to have all this fertilizer. Um, and, and so, so what we've done is now they have drones flying over their farmland. And so they send the video from the drones and also from the satellite. And this goes into a data program, into our system. And we predict how much fertilizer um, each of the trees needs down down to the tree level, um, and, and they've said this this has saved them twenty million dollars um, just from this technology. And we do some other stuff like uh, helping them uh, predict how much yield comes off the trees, et cetera, et cetera. You have to say, I would love to see a farm with a load of drones flying around. <laughs> yeah. uh, coming from Ireland, I think uh, <laughs> the farms even being outside of Dublin, um, I think uh, it's just something you wouldn't see. We're more used to, to bales of hay being, being rolled up when you're driving past them down the, down the road. Um, so you're very focused on you know, solving these data problems and these issues. That's what your business has helped or been built to help. Um, in your opinion, what's the, what's the biggest challenges uh, data is facing? Yeah, so the, the, thing, the thing is, every, you, you hear this everywhere. We're, we're in the era of big data, like there's so much data, big data. Um, whereas I think because of that fact, we're, we're facing a lot of problems. Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of news, there's a lot of stuff around fake news and, and all this stuff that, I mean, that's more data, right? So it's not just the quantity of data that matters, it's also the quality of data that matters. Um, and so what's important for machine learning is not just you have a lot of data, that is important, um, but you need high quality label data it needs to be varied. Like I could, like I could take an image and just copy and paste it a billion times, but that's not going to help me train a machine. So, so it needs you need quantity, quality, variety, um, and it needs to be clean. So it needs to be in, in a, in a structured format. So structured, um, it needs it needs to be clean, which essentially means that you 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 remove. Uh, inconsistencies and and misformatting and things like that right and so I suppose let's say I'm a I'm a data scientist I'm struggling I've got poor quality label data I've got dirty data um, I don't know where to begin because I want to start a project but I might need to show that I can actually do something with my data before I can actually do anything and that's that's my job right now what would you recommend if if I'm Anto I'm 27. I'm a data scientist, and I'm uh, I'm in that situation. Yeah, well, this is actually one of the use cases we help out with a lot. So, machine learning. I think people kind of sometimes see it as this like magical thing. It's not magic. It's just another tool. And so, what what I recommend people before in investing in in a big team and investing in a ton of infrastructure is 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 just to test if machine learning can actually just work on your customer base and is there a value proposition and is this real or is this just a marketing thing? And so so what we can do is solve what's called the cold start problem. So 
in order to have machine learning work, you, you need data and you need to label the data. Um, and so you could do a number of things is, is one, you can just use our API directly. So uh, it, it can kind of simulate what would happen if there, were, if there was AI and um, it would maybe first route to humans, but then over time it, it would route to AI as the AI algorithms got trained. Um, and so what you could do is say, hey, I, I think we can use machine learning or AI. Um, so let's just integrate, let's create a data program, integrate with uh, the Canonic API, and then you just call that and then see how your customers are reacting. And then behind the scenes, uh, we would also train the machine learning model. Um, and then you can assess whether this makes sense from you from a, a business viability perspective. Is there value to your consumers? Um, we, we solve the, the feasibility piece um, of this. Like we, we uh, solve the cold start problem and make it easy for you to test if you can use it, uh, machine learning. So that's one use case. And the other is when you actually determined that is feasible, then, then we help you scale that by kind of programming your software 2.0 by helping you label data um, and train your machine learning. Cool. And then I suppose moving away from, from Canotic, you also mentioned um, combination of hum combining human intelligence and machine learning. I suppose before we ask how you're doing it, what is it? If you kind of break down what intelligence is w without getting too detailed, it, it's it's metrics around the ability to take an input to to an output, um, and so the way the way humans do that, and, and there's other things like abstraction, and we could go in, in, into all the attributes, but I, I just want to keep it simple for now. Is uh, what a machine does is it takes an input to an output. Machine learning algorithm. What a human does is uh, take an input to an output, um, and so in one context they're very similar. Um, and actually in our system, we use humans and machines, and we, we have this idea of, sub, of abstract intelligence or something we call it substrate independent intelligence that our system treats humans and machines the same because in the end they can do the same thing and they have different attributes like machines do it very quicker, humans um, are good at certain tasks and are more cognitive and are slower. But I, but I think the fundamental power of humans and machines is in their complementarity. So machines are good at like very global task, like going through a lot of data um, and making kind of simple predictions from them. Um, they're, they're very quick, they're very cheap, they don't need vacation and they don't need to sleep, right? Um, whereas humans aren't, like if I, if I gave you like all of Wikipedia, it would take you a really long time to read that and gain insights. But if I gave you a single image, your brain would instantly be able to kind of see all the things going in the image, you could tell me all the objects in the image, well, that would be really hard uh, for a machine to, to, to do as easily as your brain. So you're good at local, like highly cognitive tasks. Um, and then uh, humans are also emotional creatures. And so typically in businesses, you want the machine to handle, uh, like there's this concern that AI is replacing human jobs. But I, I think actually in a way it's, it's making humans more human. So there's a lot of just kind of soul crushing tasks people have to do that humans <laughs> have to do. Um, and so if we can outsource that stuff and then you talk to a human because you're stressed, like, hey, I'm stressed. Like, that's what a human 
is good at and that's what we all enjoy we all enjoy connecting with other humans and humans are good at that and so i think the power of human machine is is how they complement each other um, and not necessarily replacing each other yeah i mean obviously i suppose one of the big cases that is very much in the news is using machine learning and data science to identify pre-cancer mm-hmm. um which then helps uh, someone in oncology or cancer actually treat more patients if they're spending less time just diagnosing pictures or x-rays or exactly and i i think i think the medical field will move more towards the psychological and, and emotional aspect because i think the way and maybe this is a little off topic but i think the way medicine happens now is really the wrong way like when you have a symptom of cancer that is when it's way too late like it's painful it's it's expensive you have to do these crazy surgeries in in, in chemo if we detected cancer like when it started it would actually be a relatively minor thing you'd be like oh hey like you have cancer um like maybe in the next year or so when when convenient go get that taken care of and it would be not only save a, a, a ton of money but it would it would just save a ton of heartache and, and, a, yeah. ton, and a ton of pain and so the right time to diagnose things and, and and actually take care of them is years earlier than we do it now. So you actually you touched on the t- uh, you touched on the topic of software 1.0. Um, so software 2.0 you're talking is the difference between software and machine learning. Yeah. You know, for those who aren't I suppose is up to speed on it, you know, how is software 2.0 going to affect us? You know, we're going to see the changes. As you mentioned we're in that transition period that electricity once was in. Uh, is that software 2.0? It is. Um, so I don't think software 2.0 will replace software 1.0 um, because again, they're complementary. Just as I, I don't think uh, humans will be replaced anytime soon because I can't get on, I can't sit on a beach, buy a couple of machines. <laughs> well, I do think society will will change in that we'll will do things we enjoy more because of the the main things will be automated but i I don't think it'll replace humans altogether um but yeah so yeah software 2.0 ai clearly the future um uh, but it but it's not a panacea right there's things that it, it doesn't do well at least in its current form that need to be solved so um so for example uh, software 1.0, you you write programs, um, and they're they're kind of inherently mathematical, provable. Uh, they have de- they have really desirable properties like modularity, abstraction, um, and so you can have kind of theoretical bounds on their performance. Um, and, and they're and they're good at things that mach- that software 2.0 is bad at. So like, if if I showed you a maze, like uh, imagine imagine a maze. And, and I just asked you to look at that maze and is this maze solvable? Meaning like, can you go to the entrance or the exit? And I'm like, do that in less than a second. It, would, it Most likely it would be really hard for you to do that. But you can have an algorithm do that. Namely, like, I'm just gonna trace a line in every single path and then I can do that. And a, and a computer can do that in a second, like less than in a, in a, nan, like a millisecond. Um, whereas if I asked you a different question, if I if I said, um, is is this uh, a picture of a dog? Um, y- your brain would instantly be able to do that. Whereas if I used software 1.0 to do that, it would it would probably take the research budget of the entire U.S., China, Europe uh, to to get that as effectively as 
as we can do it now with machine learning. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but it, it would be really, really difficult. So, um, so they can solve complementary use cases, but these these use cases that machine learning is good at are are going to be the cases like like medicine when you have a ton of data, like uh, blood samples and all this stuff, and so you need you have a lot of not well defined data, and and there's a lot of it, and you need to make predictions. Machine learning is going to excel there. So I see the most important problems facing society uh, as ones that machine learning um, can solve. Brad, thank you. We're after we're after running up on time. Um, you're listening to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest was Brad Cordova, the CEO at Kinotic. Cool. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Cheers. AI in Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.